Woo! What is up, freaks? Welcome back to Tales from the Crypt. It's your boy Marty. Back in the studio drinking. Drinking bullet bourbon again tonight. Uh, chugging. It's because uh, we're about to dive into a very deep conversation. I'm very excited for tonight's guest in Anon. Uh, if you're into crypto Twitter, you definitely may know him. He's definitely come across your uh, your feed at some point. I'd like to introduce you all to Coin Yeezy. Coin Yeezy, welcome to the pod. Thank you for having me. Thanks Hello. for coming on, dude. Thank you. Happy to be here. It's Made not, the trip. It's not often that we get uh, Anons on the pod. I'm That's excited. Uh, I'm excited about this. I'm yeah. ex- excited about the aurora around your Twitter account and specifically what you guys are doing with Honey Miner right now. Um, first, before we dive into any of that, typical of the show, uh, how did you get into Bitcoin? Oh, right into it. Yeah. So uh, it's a good story, I think. Uh, I heard about Bitcoin in, in, let's say, 2012. So early enough, but not as early as some of the real OGs. But uh, I heard about it at a, a college party. I, was, I went to Purdue University, was hanging out with some buddies. Um, and just by happenstance, a friend of mine Actually, his brother, who was a bit older, had started a Bitcoin betting site. Uh, not a very big one, but, you know, there wasn't many. Betting site, not the least. Yeah, which was like really the first primitive of user interfaces for Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of how I describe that. And, and some of the early economic stimulation around it was, was sports betting. So he created a sports betting site um, and he had a, like a lighter or a cup or, or something at the party where um, it said, you know, the name of the, the website and I said, what the, what the heck is this? You know, what's a, what's a Bitcoin? <laughs> and I, um, uh, long story short, people, I got the quick fill in, uh, definitely tabbed that browser on Wikipedia and went home and read about it. And about 24 hours later, I was like, oh, this is PayPal with computers. And I'd been scammed on PayPal before selling, uh, I think it was a camera to somebody in Russia, classic mm-hmm. chargeback. And I said, wow, you know, with Bitcoin, this won't happen. And um, more or less, that was it. Like, it was that simple for me. I knew that it was it had a promising future simply because it was an internet payment system and it had some advantages compared to a credit card. How early or late in, the, uh, in your college career was this? Was this- uh, I think I was a sophomore. Yeah. So I was pretty young. I was a young buck. I just started my first business, real business, let's call it, making websites, doing video, photo, digital marketing. Um, kind of what led into some of the stuff I'm doing now with software. Um, so I was pretty young and 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 didn't have a lot of money, um, but I think Bitcoin's price around them is like between like forty and hundred bucks. Mm-hmm. I remember roughly. Yeah. And what? Uh, so what was your journey through the rabbit hole? How did it start? You got into it through betting. Were you sort of an yeah, economics you know, or a money nut before then? Were you studying computer science or design? I studied, uh, believe it or not, I studied rhetoric. So I have a little bit more of a philosophy background. Um, did so I, my early goals in life were to, to start an advertising agency, which I kind of did more or less through the through the uh, website company. Um, and I, like I said, I recognized that it was it was cool. Bitcoin, what is this? Uh, I had no real idea at the time, you know, that early, like what's the gravity, the effect that Bitcoin could have on the world. Um, but I just started reading into it and I read and I read and I read and, and, and eventually um, a couple of my buddies who also learned about it the same night were like, hey, we're running this company together. We got a little bit of cash. We're making websites. Let's like do some investing. It was really my first play into investing. I had some courses in college. Uh, 
you know, I took business courses along with my, my rhetoric background. So I had this nice, like generalist already going, I did mm -hmm. some coding, I had some design, I had some philosophy, had a little bit of economics. Um, and it just kind of all pulled together with Bitcoin. I mean, you got this computer science, you got philosophy and you have economics and it just, it's a beautiful combination of those things. And it hit me. How, uh, how long did it take to hit you? Like, was it immediate or? I would say within a week or two, we yeah. more or less like me and, and that kind of like ground zero group of friends were like, oh yeah, this is, this is cool. And, um, I started slowly but surely getting more and more involved, learn more, you know, and not like just purely investing. Like I started taking that time I had free when I was running the business at the time, actually my business partners were still in school and I was kind of like couch surfing, uh, running the office out of this, this house we rented. And I was spending any extra hour reading about Bitcoin or like Reddit Bitcoin <laughs> was just really starting to grow too, mm -hmm. you know? So you had Bitcoin talk and the forums and you had Reddit and Twitter wasn't really a thing. Like it was, but it wasn't, you know, I followed some people, but it, it wasn't what it was today. Reddit was like, that was the, that was hole. where it was at. That was the rabbit hole for sure. Um, that's crazy how, uh, I love that you had that combination of sort of, uh, classes and, and, and courses to sort of come to this well-rounded understanding because I think I actually had a similar path. So I studied economics. All my electives I spent on philosophy classes and then I quit finance to learn about UX design and like software development. And nice. I think for people with that sort of background, generalist background, like you said, it is a bit more innate, like understanding this. Uh, I feel like the, the learning curve is a little less steep than, than maybe for other more hyper-focused uh, yeah, people. Definitely, and, and even at the time, you know, build a few e-commerce sites. Um, we weren't really doing a lot of like international business or something, but you realize there were like constraints and there, the businesses we had to sign up mm -hmm. for these, these accounts and stuff. Um, they were affected by the fact that like you couldn't do business in certain countries and stuff. And, and it was really easy to see. Um, and I was, I, I just, I played out to luck a lot because it was just kind of all of these connections in life that happened at once. And I, I was able to have this realization and it was something special like Bitcoin. And here we are. Yeah. So when we met uh, the first time a couple of weeks ago, you said you've been in the mining game for a while. So a precursor to Honey Miner, you've you've been mining for quite a while, correct? Yeah. Um, so going right off of, you know, I learned about Bitcoin, got into Bitcoin, was running some businesses. And um, I, I really quickly uh, started understanding what mining meant and even had at that point really dove into, got invited to some stuff to talk about Bitcoin. Uh, did some like business forums, a bunch of old guys, uh, kind of like rotary clubs and was talking about Bitcoin. Didn't really know what I was talking about, but you know, people were interested in how it worked and I had to figure out what mining was. So I was, I just kept diving in and going deeper and I ended up, uh, learning about Litecoin. And I think there was like, you know, at this point there were like Litecoin, Feathercoin, Namecoin, Purecoin. Purecoin's yeah. a classic. I don't know why that always stuck with me. It was like, yeah. you know, there's like Cripsy, it was back then, and, and yeah. BTCE had yeah. all this stuff. Yeah, and then Vercoin was not too long after. Yeah, yeah. They're, uh, those multi-algo coins have stuck around. Yeah, they got hot. <laughs> I, I said, okay, you know, like, um, and I remember we had like interns in our office, and um, young, younger, a little bit younger. I mean, we were young, but they were, some were older, some were younger. It was kind of a funny dynamic. And I remember bringing this up in front of, in front of my, some of my buddies there, and the intern was like, what? you know, what the heck, like Bitcoin mining, you can't do that anymore. And I mean, this was like 2013, which is hilarious because uh, you definitely could, you just need to know how. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Um, and really quickly 
started researching and how to like take a GPU. And I didn't even know that much about that even at this mm -hmm. point and, uh, got with my buddy and we set up a little like six card GPU miner. Uh, and we were mining, I think Litecoin and like Dogecoin maybe. And, and, uh, that was it. Like turned the, I, I had, no, I went from zero to a hundred literally because I had no, I don't, didn't really know a lot about computer engineering. I had a nice MacBook that I could design cool stuff on or, or help make a website or send emails. It was a browsing machine. Um, and, and we kind of pushed it to the next level and, and started to, uh, and started to get to that point. So that the mining thing was funny. Uh, it was kind of by accident and I ended up being really lucky because we started mining like things like Litecoin really early. Well, you are the, uh, the second recorded Dogecoin miner to be on Tales from the Crypt. Congratulations behind Nick Carter who destroyed a laptop doing it. Yeah. I think, I think I got like wrecked from, from some of this, at least to some degree from, I, I it was like, I don't, you remember Cripsy and like this big Vern, uh, yeah, dude? Big Vern, <laughs> big Vern. And such a classic. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even like help from laughing. And we like, you know, I, I don't know if this guy, I don't even know the story, but apparently like he exit scammed or like the website went down or whatever. And I'm pretty sure a lot of our mining profits were chilling on that, that exchange. So yeah. classic newbie. It happened. Leaving stuff on I got exchange. scammed on MinPal. I got, uh, yeah, that hurt. That was a, it was a hard early lesson. Um, but I think it's funny what you said. Like you had no idea what what it was like to mine or anything about computer science, but you just baptized like big fan of baptism by fire here. Yeah. You just jumped in. Maybe let's dive into like what it was like learning something new and like what heuristics are you using or or steps are you following to learn this new thing? Yeah, just... and I hung out with a lot of engineers. Purdue is a huge engineering school. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of the oddball because I wasn't one. And I was really lucky because my friends were engineers and the in the friend that I set this up with you know, he, he more or less did the work. Like I was kind of like, had the idea and I was like, Hey man, you ever heard of Bitcoin? You know? Mm -hmm. And we had some computer graphics cards and some computer parts. And then we went on eBay and, and Craigslist. And I, at the time I was like, basically broke business was doing okay, but I needed some side cash. So I had this little side business of doing stuff like buying and selling on Craigslist, you know, things mm -hmm. like that. I was kind of like hustling all the way up and, and uh, so I didn't know how to quickly get and source hardware. And I was on a college campus, so you could do that. And there's a lot of gamers. It's a pretty nerdy place. Mm -hmm. uh, kind of the city of cargo shorts is, is <laughs> what I call West Lafayette, Indiana. Isn't, so, uh, isn't it true that uh, the, the I went to college in Chicago, so there was a lot of Big Ten schools like in my area. And uh, Purdue had a notorious... Uh, a notorious reputation for being uh, heavily skewed towards the male population. Absolutely. I think we had like 70% male. <laughs> and, you know, in reality, it felt like 90 walking down the street, you know, the, it, the large proportion of the population there are, are just really smart people, but they're in math, they're in computer science, they're in engineering. And, you know, that's a really, really tough curriculum. So people are caught up in the basements. Um, and it, it's a funny place to be because you kind of like overlap and it's a college town. There's fun and there's football games and all tailgating and you get to do all that cool stuff. But like Purdue is pretty special. And the fact that like it had so many smart people, extremely academic is definitely at the end of the day as well. Definitely. It's interesting. I didn't know, uh, no, it was that rigorous. It's tough. Uh, my brother's actually going through grad school there now and it's a great school. Anybody who's listening, like Purdue, you know, it's kind of a boring town maybe compared to some of these other big 10 cities. Um, but uh, I, I, it's a place definitely dear to me. I love it. And there's a, up. there's our free out of the pod for Purdue university. There Check it out. <laughs> if you're ever, didn't, uh, didn't expect that one coming. <laughs> Not even myself. Uh, 
So you're mining. Uh, you've learned a lot. You're you're a project hustler. So let's dive into your to your projects you've worked on in crypto in particular. And it seems like it's been a very iterative process for you. You're hopping around Definitely. from like different. Yep. You have like a portfolio app, Honey Miner, Pepe Dep, um, Whale Reports, Whale Reports too. So you have like content. Uh, that's data app, uh, portfolio mm-hmm. app, mm-hmm. Uh, a mining operation, and. Uh, Digital adapt. collectibles, right? Digital yeah. collectible app, yeah. And and before that, even I had started to get more, a little bit more skin in the game when I I had this uh, bright idea to help. I, I learned about ransomware, mm-hmm. and so this is before Coindex or or any of this stuff. Um, I I'd figured out that people got hacked for Bitcoin. The news is it, this is a pretty old thing. People think it's kind of new, but it's like been going on since like 2010. That ransomware has been happening. Yeah. I caught on to that and um, I was kind of like the local consultant uh, to help resolve ransomware. So what I would do is if like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to say what companies, but occasionally a, a mid or large size company would get hacked. Like e-commerce was really common. What I saw people would get their databases locked up, call me. These are 40, 50 year old men, IT experts, smart guys, sometimes with like tears in their eyes saying, you got to help me figure this out. And I'd basically teach them how to like go to Coinbase or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and kind of resolve the ransomware, which is actually really simple, but they didn't know what Bitcoin was and it was very scary, right? Like early iterations of Heartbleed or something. Is that what it was? Heartbleed? I don't know. The, uh, the one that took over the hospitals in Europe. Oh yeah. What was that called? Yeah. I, I mean, we're, this, this stuff is only the beginning even, right? right? Even in 2018, kind of wild, but this is definitely the future of how you do cyber, cyber hacks and attacks and, and. All right, so let's talk, let's talk about that a little bit. Like, how do you see this progressing? Like, yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> that's like, I mean, that's a big theme in crypt, crypto and Bitcoin in general is these technologies built on top of encryption using encryption are going to uh, make it extremely glaringly obvious the, the attack vectors that exist in our current world. Uh, there may be a lot of zero days and a lot of technology that's out there. And, and how do we sort of protect ourselves from these increasing ransomware attacks that you're describing yeah well i i like i said i kind of got into it where it's still pretty early enough and caught people by surprise now i think there's a lot of companies that are actually pretty proactive and have at least recognized especially big ones right but it's data is like every time a company holds your data it's like a really high entropy environment there's a lot of human capital costs associated with protecting the data there's a lot of human capital just to run the company. I mean, there's, it's an expense just to be able to sell a product, right? Mm-hmm. Massive. And to protect the data up until these things like ransomware was kind of like hindsight, like, oh, we'll do this later. And they didn't really see it coming. And it was more like reactive instead of proactive. Mm-hmm. And th- I saw that evolution really early. And I think that nowadays you're looking at things that are like a much higher threat level. So it's not e-commerce sites. Yes, it will be e-commerce sites, but it'll be things much bigger because Bitcoin in itself has grown and that environment has been recognized, but it's, it's proven itself as like the best way to do these things, right? Mm -hmm. For hackers, unfortunately. And, but it is kind of like the Darwinism that, that is Bitcoin and it's attacking these systems. People are attacking these systems despite Bitcoin existing or not. And Bitcoin now is, is that, that place where they can actually capture the value. So I think that in the future, we're going to see a lot more crazy stuff. And I don't want to go into like doomsday scenarios, but you're talking about things like with your energy grid, which is a huge cost to America. Let's population. go into it. That's right. Let's Rather go on. into it. Let's go to energy grid. Dude, scenario. Energy get, grid's getting wrecked. Uh, 
airplanes, you know, all this stuff that you don't want to think about and don't, I, I travel a lot and I would like not to think about this, but the fact is all this stuff is running, you know, submarines, nuclear subs, these are running on like windows XP cobalt sometimes wrecked, right? These are going to get wrecked. I mean, these are, these are, these are operating systems that are notorious for having zero day exploits. Like the NSA and windows it, it, one in the same might as well be because the core, like the, the root level is designed around these requests by the government to get data. So <laughs> wrecked. So like you, you could basically end the story there and say literally everything that, that exists right now has some kind of zero day exploit and Bitcoin will be the way these ransomwares, Make it's not Bitcoin's fault. It's definitely something, it's further, you know, it's like how these products were designed and, and security in, in, in mind was not a thing. Yeah, that's, that's sort of what uh, our boy Andrew DeSantis focuses on. He, yeah. Because of this, he, uh, he thinks Bitcoin will only be successful in the future if, if we can sort of reverse, not even reverse course on these zero days, just start new and start building hardware and firmware that is secure at its root and it's cryptographically proven that it is so. And that's a very... Very intriguing uh, endeavor, and it's like uh, I think it follows the ethos of do it right or don't do it at all. Yeah, very, very much. At yeah, its and I mean, you know, shout out to Andrew DeSantis because he's one of the few people, even two, three years ago, that was talking about some of these these problems and and how Bitcoin can help kind of salvage this situation. Yeah, and and pushed me to think more about this, right? Because I, I kind of had that with the ransomware stuff and mm -hmm. you know, all that you, you, you can add it up. Right. And the, the beautiful thing about like Bitcoin is that Dar that Darwinism we talk about is that it puts pressure on these things to like actually make a change. And so now I'm a big proponent of let's figure out, let's not look at Bitcoin as money. We can, sure. It can be money. It can mm -hmm. be a lot of things. One thing it definitely could be, and it could be really successful at is a place like for computation, a sound place, that you can compute. You could derive operating systems, start up your computer, type in your private key, and that puppy's like, you know, it's all Bitcoin based, let's say, right? To keep it simple. And that stuff I'm a big proponent of. I'm very fascinated with that. I've been learning more and more about that as much as I can coming from like a non-science background, right? Yeah, and I've, I mean, I've, I've dove down that rabbit hole as well. And I guess I'm, I would imagine I'm more ignorant to it than you are, but like, what are the biggest obstacles uh, that something that Bitcoin being utilized in that fashion needs to sort of overcome? I'd say intellectual and human capital is like yeah. number one, because there are only so many people like, you know, listeners, please follow DeSantis, Mark Wilcox. You can say these guys are like doomsdayers or whatever, but you should follow them just for the for the kind of like intellectual bits you can gather from them because they're really, really focusing on these things. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a it's a high risk environment. And right now there's not a lot of people trying to solve these types of problems. And Bitcoin happens to be like the Mecca of security is secure by design. So it's to me, at least from like a visionary standpoint, that's the place we should be putting a lot of effort is figuring out how to derive software, how to compute, how you, you know, you could send a transaction. I'll send a transaction coin easy to Marty and that transaction can contain data. It can contain, uh, it could even contain files. It can contain, uh, a way to when you when you receive that transaction you could now like open up a file on your computer and only you and i can share that that stuff's possible with bitcoin mm -hmm. and a lot of the kind of newcomers that came into the space in the last two years they just haven't really met this like you know bitcoin is kind of like this onion and there's layers there's and they so haven't many really 
a lot of layers. They really haven't gotten there. You there's know? a lot of intellectual rabbit holes you can jump down. Like there's yeah. Like, so it takes time. Right. It, it, that's that's not anybody's fault. That's just what it is. And and so part of the stuff I even do on Twitter is like I'm not really trying to like push thoughts down people's brains or whatever throats and and say this is this is what's going to happen. I'm just trying to like trying to, to, to have people be more proactive. Expand the framing. Sure. Yeah. yeah. It's like Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash. What the hell? This is, this is short. You're thinking very short term. You know, if you're looking at Bitcoin as a, a computational environment, Bitcoin, Bitcoin cash, who cares? I mean, these are, these are derivatives of each other. Bitcoin cash ha- does have an advantage in some sense that it allows like bigger blocks. And, and, and if you can imagine something people don't really catch on to is that hardware is going to progress. The way we store data will progress. Look at things like Nereid storage. I'll, I'll show you after the show, this cool video. And I've seen it. And, yeah, great. So like, you know, they're doing stuff with GPUs now that allow you to, yeah, to pass they, data. They have like and, these crazy 3D animation going, the dude's just ripping the GPUs yeah. out. Oh, I just showed like that video, going. like right so before like, I rolled in the stu- studio. Yeah. So with the Honeyminer guys. And, but you know, to stay on track, it's like all of this stuff is kind of going on. And if you think that Bitcoin today or Bitcoin Cash today is, is what it will be in the future, you're just, you're being silly. All derivatives of Bitcoin, all opportunities that Bitcoin or a fork of Bitcoin can have will happen. Mm-hmm. And that's what we should invite. And that's going to help drive human capital. It's going to help invent, invent new things. It's going to help solve some of these problems we're talking about with like security and data storage and doing inf- computing on Bitcoin. Um, so I try to like say, hey, guys, you know, we don't need to be Bitcoin maximalists. We don't need to hate Ethereum. We don't need to hate Bitcoin Cash. That's, that's all just a brand. Mm-hmm. And Bitcoin and, and all derivatives of Bitcoin, they're our friends. And we should invite them to be at our party. And we should really, really try to learn about what they're trying to do. And we should listen to these people, even if they're crazy assholes. You know, your Roger Verse and your, your Craig fake Toshi or whatever, right? Who cares? Just, just try to learn more and use that as an opportunity to kind of absorb and, and sponge this, these, these things that they're talking about because it's not all wrong, right? Like there are opportunities in some of these other features. Would, I'd agree to an extent. Like I think these people should be heard to a certain point until I would argue like a lot of the points these people are trying to make have been proven like just illogical in my mind. I least. could, I, yeah, just to clarify, definitely like, hear them definitely out. Definitely agree, right? But like, it should hit a threshold where it's like, all right, this idea is stupid. Let's move on. And yes. Like, but, you know, even maybe I can even be more precise and say, if your friend says this person sucks, you know, on Twitter, you shouldn't take your friend's word for it. Just go find out. Yeah. That's probably your easiest solution. And I'm not, I'm not suggesting that and everybody there is doing the right thing. Same should be said with the opposite. Like if your friend's saying this person's awesome, definitely don't take that. Take that with a grain of salt. Everything well. should be, you know, you should be skeptical about everything. I saw, I had the chance to see Edward Snowden talk in, in uh, Blockstack Berlin, not in real life, but on a video. Mm-hmm. And, and it was amazing to hear him speak because he was, you know, obviously he's talking about security and things like zero days and NSA. And, and, and his, last line was don't trust me just, you know be skeptical that's all i'm trying to promote yeah i think it's a similar message that i try to like dial in is like be skeptical but don't be crazy and try to learn that's the best way for everybody exactly and the best way to learn is to push your boundaries of what you think is possible definitely and maybe lose a little sleep yeah a lot of sleep yeah i've lost a lot of sleep i've been sleeping well recently though i will say that yeah the, the bull's coming back <laughs> the price going back up. Everyone's sleeping good now. I don't know. It could be a bull trap. It could be a bull trap. Been looking at volume. I don't know if volume's there yet. Yeah, yeah we, but don't, we don't have to talk price, right? I'm not, nah, I'm not the trader. Nah, we don't need to. Yeah, it's nothing. Let's talk Bitcoin and just philosophy behind it. Um, 
All right, let's pivot to Honey Miner for a little bit here, and then we'll get trippy again a little bit. Let's uh, yeah, sure. let's get the uh, the business side of it, or not even the business side of it. This I want to learn about Honey Miner. Yeah. Are you so you are a co-founder. Yeah. So I'm a um, I'm a, a technically a, a first hire. First hire. Honey Miner. Yeah. So okay. the the founders the 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 core group of founders uh, had this idea probably I don't know two or three years ago and started putting it into movement a year ago. And we just released the first version of Honey Miner about three months ago. So it's been moving along pretty nice. Um, and the core philosophy is let's create, let's make mining easy. So you can go to honeyminer.com in about 10 seconds, you try it yourself. Uh, you go to honeyminer.com, you click start earning now, and you will download this app. And that app will now start using your computer's CPU and GPU to earn you Bitcoin. And, and kind of how that works is is that we will start mining with your GPU or CPU, uh, Ethereum, Ethereum Classic, um, Zcash. We have about 15 or 20. I think in any given day, about 10 different algos get touched mm -hmm. by our, our system. And so we'd mine what's most profitable. That's our key. That's our key thing. We want to be most profitable mining software for our users. And then we'll pay you in Bitcoin. So it's a beautiful thing, I think. Um, it is beautiful. Uh Especially because it really drives home the ethos of permissionlessness. Permissionlessness? I have one word in like an episode word. where I, I don't know if it's a real word or not. But it's you're a, driving the uh, permissionless ethos of Bitcoin. You can basically hit, click a button, begin participating, begin uh, basically earning Bitcoin. With the click of a button, you just give up your computing source. You don't. There's no KYCA yeah. ML the, right the, now. The way, the way that I describe this is... Um, you know, to grandma or something is like, it's kind of like Airbnb for your computer. You're lending your computing resources like and in return we pay you. And, you know, we pay you in Bitcoin in this case, right? But that's more or less what's happening. Uh, you're going to, you have a spare laptop, you have a gaming computer, or you're straight up a whale miner. It doesn't matter. If you got, if you're a miner, you can use our software. It's a, it's a one click install, ready to go. And there you are, you're earning Bitcoin. And hopefully we're making you more money than our competitors. That's that's what we're here to do. Yeah, and your competitors are what, like NiceHash? Uh, yeah, more or less. A couple others. And, um, and what we've done a little bit different in this early first, you know, this is our first version. We're, we're pretty young, right? Uh, it's just, it's about ease of use. Mm -hmm. That's our focus, right? UX is important. That's right. It's very important. That's right. I think your rhetoric, philosophy, background, and, and design experience is, is paying off. Definitely. That's I, one thing. Ironically, uh, huh? Yeah, people, uh, this is one thing, maybe going on a side tangent here, this is one thing, so I learned I was part of the Drupal community for a while. Uh, Familiar. Working with, uh, working with Drupal developers specifically, so back-end PHP developers. Um, and I was basically going to design shops and saying, hey, we've got, we've got these developers, like, I know you're, yeah. you're, you're bidding for CMS. You might have, you might have like, uh, came through my email forum yeah. Sunday. I, I bet I did. I bet I did, but... It's like uh, there is a disconnect between designers and engineers that fascinates me. It's my the fascination over this started in 2014 when I took this UX boot camp. Mm -hmm. It's uh, design is underappreciated, I would say, especially UX design and mm -hmm. the, the the onboarding flow and the first 30 second interaction you have with a product. Is yeah, well, working imperative. in software, it, it teaches you that there's a difference yeah. between a graphic designer and a product designer. Exactly. Because a product designer understands like engineering and how things work. It's the classic Steve Jobs, like it's a how it works, right? Mm -hmm. It's like the experience is how it works and, and, and designing 
you know, uh, a flyer or a website is very different than designing a, a, an app because there's so many layers and there's so much that can go on behind a simple user face, right? Honeyminer is a great example. Yeah, and you can even get as general as designing this podcast, this experience that we're having right now. Like, for sure. The fact that we're drinking or in person, uh, face-to-face. Like great simple. experience. Nice studio. <laughs> First time in a studio. I love it. Could be better. Could be better. Aesthetically. But I think, uh, I think it, the, the face-to-face interaction is, is important. Um, but with that being said, back to Honey Miner. Like, how uh, does it work? under the hood like what are you guys doing your 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 what are your data sources how are you figuring out which coin is most profitable to mine at which time how are you sort of shifting hash power to that coin and and then divvying out the rewards yeah. no this is a good good opportunity actually to say you know the everything about honey miner we we've built in-house so it's like proprietary right so our objective like i said is to be the most profitable and the way you do that is by having a very smart algorithm that figures out at this very moment considering your gpu and your cpu like on your computer sitting right here what is most profitable what what algorithm is is ethereum or ethereum classic or whatever right so we try to make a really smart algorithm and and so far it's been very successful and we're trying to figure out how can we continue to not only figure out what you have in your computer, which is a task in itself, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, but actually be able to mine what's most profitable. So that's really like, it's, it's very complicated, but very simple at the same time. You know, if you go to other websites out there, there's a, there's a few sources that you can look at like different like profitability or what's the hash power of, of XYZ, like Ethereum Classic right before Coinbase got really hot. Mm-hmm. You get all this attention, this like gravitational poll on this topic and then you'll see like hash hash power associated with it so you people start to speculate spec mining if you're not familiar with the term is like a huge part of the market that really goes underserved and that we're creating this and and hint hint we're working on some cool features coming up for spec miners that we're going to create an environment that it's going to fetch really quickly the most profitable and get that And, and of course right now it's just bitcoin another hint but we're working on some pretty cool stuff that allows the user to not have to work too hard where if you're a professional mining shop, if you're even just a hobbyist, you would have to invest development hours into creating software optimizations. There's like, there's tons of nerds out there that are just killing mm-hmm. it in this game right now. Right. Mm-hmm. And we're trying to bring that to the masses. So there's mm-hmm. exploits. There's, there's kind of like, it's not front running. It's not the right term, but you know, you can start to like gather some Intel data puts, arbitrage. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. And, that's the stuff that we're trying to introduce with with algorithms. So you can you can imagine that you know you, it's a very simple user interface when you look at Honeyminer, but it's quite complex. But then it kind of like it sounds funny, but it's that simple. We're targeting the most profitable, and we built a really smart way to do that. That's uh, it's incredible. No, it's uh, it's an interesting way to get introduced to Bitcoin. Like some people buy it first, other people are given to it. Maybe for a different demographic of people, this is the most uh this is the way in which they get into it where they understand it where they have an aha moment where it's like oh, absolutely i understand this stuff absolutely uh, when we, we when we launched a few months ago we we didn't we knew it was a cool idea obviously i mean we're spending a lot of time a lot of effort like we've got we built up this whole company around it and when when we pushed it out and we saw like people really really like this and it's really useful and then other stuff started coming. So we, we got really, we got a lot of good surface area with uh, Coindesk. They did a little feature mm-hmm. on us and said, Honey Miner, you can earn Bitcoin with a laptop again. And 
that stuck really well. And even in fact, we, we underestimated how much traffic would hit us that day. And, and, uh, we actually got stuck on, uh, Google. And if you searched Bitcoin, we were the number one news article for like 48 hours. So Hell yeah. we got hit heavy and you know, the, the, this is something that people are, are really interested in, is Bitcoin, but mining's kind of like, well, if you want Bitcoin, the easiest way to get it until now was to buy it. Now you can just turn on your computer and you can earn a couple cents. You could earn a couple dollars. You could earn hundreds or thousands of dollars, depending on the scale. And even, and we were talking about this a little bit earlier is people now all over the world are participating in this. Mm -hmm. And we have a, like even a special little group of people that wouldn't usually have access to Bitcoin or maybe it was hard for them, or maybe they just don't have like available money or, uh, you know, banks and, and Coinbase and things like that are just aren't that accessible. So like 30% of our users are coming from places that, you know, are, are not like great places to live, let's say like Africa and things like that. So we even like sending a t-shirt to a guy. Um, I think he's in Nairobi, <laughs> Kenya. Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what's a country or Nairobi's in Kenya. In that, yeah. yeah. So that sounds right. Or I Kenya think is in Nairobi, wow. Kenya, I believe. Show my ignorance here. I believe. It's in Kenya. Yes. So I think he's, I think he's there in, in Kenya or in Africa in general. So that was a really big moment for us because, you know, not only are we building things that people are excited about and it's a, and it's a business and it has like, it has a revenue model and it makes people money too, which is really great part about building a product like this. It's not like a token, right? It's like, this makes you money. We don't, we don't ask you for any money. You just turn it on and you make money. Mm. And, and that was really powerful. So financial inclusion is a piece that you don't necessarily see right away. Even maybe if we didn't recognize as big of a piece of this as it could be. It was sort of a, a positive externality that happened from starting the company. I love it for sure. And so I guess let's dive into this. How, how do you guys maintain a profit? What do you, you so our business model? If you have two GPUs or more, we take a 2.5% fee. And it's pretty simple. And, um, you know, we make money when you make money. We don't ask for any money up front or, you know, of course not, right? It's a mining application. So, yeah. the, and then that's proportional to how much um, hardware you have and, and, and what you're doing. So, uh, we hope that that's, that's the way of the future. And at the moment, we're just really focused on building a great product. Yeah, well... Speaking of building a great product, you just brought on a great ad to the team today, I would say. So, you tweet... Uh, that you guys brought on not so fast uh, crypto Twitter OG who's been uh, I've been following it since 2013 he's one of the first people I followed in the space he's an OG miner he seems to know what he's doing and he uh, he may be an altcoin degenerate but he definitely knows his his mining operations yeah he knows his stuff um, so yeah not so fast uh, just joined the team we officially announced it about an hour ago as of today's recording. So um, as you listen to this, it's already official and we'll be kind of pushing out some additional information with that. But it's pretty great to have him on the team. When we started working on Honey Miner, we always had not so fast in mind. Um, and I, I work with crypto Randy, Randy Marsh as well. And, and we knew right away that not so fast was was number one on the list mm -hmm. and we wanted to make sure that with the team that we got something out and that we were doing a good job and we made sure that the product was stable and it was it was doing all the things that it should do like we promise right and that happened pretty quickly and and so i went right for it and and uh we got in line with not so fast and about a month later here we are 
and he's officially joined the team. So I'm, we're really hoping that he adds some value with kind of the product roadmap, um, helping us take on these big whale miners and, and, and teaching us a few things, really. He's a really smart guy outside of mining as well. So he's a great person to have around in a business setting. Yeah, congrats, man. Huge, Thank huge you. get, in my opinion. And, and not I so fast. I hope you're listening. This. You know, shout out, man. You're, you're killing it. Yeah, I have a lot of respect for this dude. Um, and I guess we could jump into this. Like, he's well known for, for being, I'm a, I'm a Bitcoin maximalist, but he, he's not fond of Bitcoin maximalist. And I said, I guess let's talk about the role that altcoins and like altcoin mining plays in this whole thing, you know? Um, because there is a, I think there is a good argument to be made that Bitcoin would, is, is, uh, is sustained because of this altcoin market, because of the speculation around it. And well, yeah, because people want to earn more Bitcoin. Exactly. And this is one way to do it. So it's like a way to play the game. Excuse me. So the I think one of the the things about Bitcoin, I don't know, is Bitcoin generalist a word? Like, you know, I'm kind of like... A, it is now. Yeah, a Bitcoin and all <laughs> derivatives of it are great. Um, and I, I think that as far as like the actual things that... that altcoins bring into play and like especially ethereum is that it's developing human capital and people are learning about bitcoin they're learning about blockchain they're learning about smart contracts they're learning how to move data in a on an immutable space or arguably semi-immutable space <coughs> semi-immutable i would say yeah we won't, we won't go into it but the the other cryptocurrencies uh i think are really important because you also see things like uh, new algorithms um new ways to adjust block difficulty. I'm just learning about some of this stuff myself. Um, you see like, you know, you look at Overstock and, and uh, Medici and they have now Ravencoin is kind of like they're putting some of their human capital on this project. And it's cool to see because it's like traditional businesses that are trying to, to, to understand what blockchain is. And it's, you know, Ravencoin's a Bitcoin fork. So um, sounds great. Like I would love for public companies to understand how to compute and develop and do whatever the heck they want on Bitcoin. And that's where, so hmm, I'm trying to see where I can take this because I would agree where I think the experimentation is key, but when you involve money in it, like that's where I get a little hesitant. Yeah. Well, I think you have to understand that retail money, when you involve retail money in it, that's where. Sure. Yeah. And you know, Ethereum, I, I like, again, I'm not really like trying to come out and be this Bitcoin maximalist headstrong guy, but uh, I built projects on Ethereum and like there are like there's like additional it does take like I believe a net like it takes more resources to build, build something on Ethereum and, and it has high entropy. It's like less of standardization and things like that. And that's all being worked on. Great. OK, cool. But there's it. It doesn't directly like contribute back to Bitcoin, which is kind of like the mother of the ship. Right. Of, of like crypto. And so your best bet, I think, would be to, to do things of Bitcoin's nature. But again, like you're looking at and I don't think we've seen it right now, but I would be willing to bet in the future. Some of these people that are working on Ethereum and other things are going to come back and they maybe have this epiphany that that people like of us, us that, that that were. Oh, yeah. Bitcoin. It is. It's it. That's mm -hmm. the Bitcoin is the one you want to, to have. Yeah. If, if you question that, then you should read about Bitcoin a bit more. Right. Yeah, and I guess that's the whole, that's what this whole discussion is about, is the EV positive or negative. Um, I, that's a hard one to go down to, right? Exactly. I mean, what do you think? Do you? Well, I go back and forth. I mean, 
I, I just wish all that energy was focused on building on top of Bitcoin. But at the same time, that might not be possible. You right. Know? Because perhaps the profit, you know, at once everybody accumulates the same strategy, like the, the, the margins of like air and profit, those, those are kind of equal. Right. If there's more like volatility, there's more opportunity for loss and profit. And that's what these other volatile things allow for. And unfortunately, that's kind of the Darwinism. That's like our key topic tonight, I guess, is like there's some Darwinism associated where people have to lose to learn. Well, exactly. And that's probably why I would argue it is positive EV in the end, because it's helping us learn quicker and we're seeing it fail in the wild quicker. I would love to know, though, if if people own, you know, maybe your first crypto was Ethereum. Does that mean that they own proportional Bitcoin? I would love to know that stat. You know, it's hard to know just like. You could talk to a few even ETH my, and a few Bitcoin. Even my most bullish ETH friends are majority Bitcoin holders. That's that, that's good to know. Yeah. I mean, that, I hope that's the case for I, most. I mean, it's a very anecdotal stat, but sure, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. A lot of my most bullish ETH. Friends. That's the only data we have, but I, you know, that's what I like. Again, if people are listening and you're like Ethereum bullhead, please just get a little Bitcoin. Like just, yeah. you know, I, I would suggest if we're talking about trading, which I'm not really a trader and I'm not really trying to get into it. Neither by 80% Bitcoin. That's a good move. You know, if you're going to play yeah. that game, 80% Bitcoin, then play your games. Good luck, guys. Yeah, exactly. I saw a tweet today. Try to try to accumulate at least one Bitcoin and then you can screw around after that. Oh, that's a good one. If, uh, I'll have to dig that up on Twitter. That's a retweet. Yeah. I forget who sent it out. Um, it was a trade. It might have been BitLord. Okay. BitLord. I like that. Uh, the dude was he part of the uh, the Romano ass eating es- <laughs> uh, I don't know, but uh, it seems like everybody was at this uh, point. But uh, that was a real. The prophecy was the one of the most uh, inside memes I've ever seen. Is that why life. we're sitting at seventy three fifty right now? I guess so. I guess so, man. For yeah, all you freaks that don't know out there, Romano is an OG. He's what, like 22 now? Viacoin developer too. Young Viacoin, guy, but, Viacoin, but been around. Viacoin. Yeah, so he basically picked up an old dead alt project. A developer has abandoned it. He was 19 from the Netherlands, I believe, when he yep. picked it up. Uh, and just been developing that. And he's a, a non-dev and is an incredible shit poster. And uh, I guess it was like the beginning of the year. Or no, it's probably like uh, spring or beginning of summer. Uh, people people said the the bear market wouldn't turn around until until our our boy Romano uh, licked a butt, and he and did he that. Li- he licked a butt. He licked so a butt over the we week or over the weekend. Thank you, Romano. Yeah. Hey, doing what you can to push it forward. <laughs> <laughs> but this is actually a good a good segue because you're a man of memes and this was somewhat of a meme in the space you know dude yeah oh definitely so let's talk about the power of memes like how did you get like you are a believer that you can and i am too i'm a very big believer in this and i would argue most people in cryptocurrency are that you can will a thought into existence with a very good meme oh absolutely there's a lot of research out there that says that like you study different like powerful leaders in the past right so um, as funny as this sounds, like I'm trying to make memes serious, but they are very serious. They're, you know, you look back in war times and propaganda, you know, those are memes in themselves. They're translating or mm-hmm. passing on information. Well, Sam's probably one of the most infamous memes. That, memes run the world in some sense. And, you know, part of the reason I started this, this crypto Twitter thing, I'm, I'm like, it's only been around for a year or so, um, was that I, I felt that 
as myself, I was very boring or people didn't really like to, to catch on to some of these things. And then as a meme, I could really put out humor and intellectual power and not be judged by the way you look. And that's, that's kind of like a Twitter account's very special in that way. But if you look at posters, you look at, you know, Instagram is like loaded with memes. It's, and it's a lot of like inspiration comes from there. Mm-hmm. Is it, these are, these are communication channels. This, you know, you study information theory or if you study uh, communication theory, um, you study art, you know, you're, you're portraying messages in a very condensed format. So memes are a pretty powerful thing. And of course we have fun doing it. Um, but many times you may not realize that a meme could influence the way you think far, far beyond the moment that you just like take that meme in. Right. Yeah. And biggest example of that is our president right now. Make America great again. Yeah, sure. One of the most powerful memes of this century. Absolutely. And, and you know, the entertainment value in that case. And there's some, and you could say, you know, I, I, there's, there's intellectual values, there's entertainment value. Uh, memes allow for you to convey one, the other, both. Depends on, obviously, the setting and, like, kind of the art format of it. Um, and I've even experienced with, uh, or experimented with memes. I, I talked to crypto Randy Marsh. He's, he and I like to talk about this theory, like meme theory. I joke that I studied meme theory in college <laughs> and, and thank you, Purdue. And, um, I, I like part of it is being able to like convey messages and make jokes and then also be serious. And there's, there's a lot of layers to how memes work. And, and I think that more and more of the way we communicate will be through a picture and multimedia than it will be through text. And, and that's what I really like that concept. All right. We're getting drunker here. Let's get trippier. It's that's like funny. hieroglyphs, right? Like what, maybe hieroglyphs were a more sophisticated type. Language well, if you're familiar with like day. Pepe cash or, or mm-hmm. uh, Pepe dap, which is basically a Pepe cash on Ethereum. And it's something that I worked on myself. And uh, the idea was like, how can we build a place where people can basically Design artists can submit memes, and there can be a marketplace for them for in a finite supply associated. And this is this is a little bit beyond memes. Like think about music, video, all formats. These things now, because of you know, believe it or not, Bitcoin or Ethereum. In this case, we build it on Ethereum. Uh, allows you to have a, a longer shelf life, and you can timestamp ownership and things like that of of art creation. So I think it's a pretty fantastic thing that. Like memes are only being intensified by things like blockchain. Yeah, really. And we're seeing it with so? Romano or whatever. It, it's it's on a whole new level now. Because well, when I think, I think it's I think it's a combination of blockchains and then the mean the mediums through which the media through which we can express these memes, like the internet. It's like. Uh, the 4chan and the forums of the early 2000s and uh, mid like 2010s, whatever. I don't even know how to talk about that. The tens. How would you even like describe that decade? Yeah, I think like well, 4chan, Reddit, yeah. great examples of like these are more or less like decentralized communities, at least before Bitcoin and Ethereum exists. Yeah, that. And what I'm trying to say though, it's like it's sort of crescendoing right now, where like everybody's sort of getting on board with like oh this is actually very powerful even my dad sends me memes right, right? like have yeah. you ever experienced that where i'm getting these like funny puppy memes or whatever it's like the like emoji culture and texting and stuff like that that's getting more popular and oh absolutely and, uh how's it gonna affect like the way we communicate it already is like how well, how parabolic is it gonna get of how it affects i think very i think we're just kind of hitting that 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 we're just at the bottom of the the chart let's say as far as yeah. like 
the way we'll communicate in the future will be less about your native language and more about just like translating kind of abstracting fractal. You can use all these funny words like, but it's metaphors. The yeah. core of all language is metaphor. So, That's, uh, a book recommended to me by Bitcoin Core developer, uh, The Glass Bead Game by Herman Hesse. Uh, he wrote it in the 1930s, but it really gets into the essence of this. It's people uh, explaining emotions and conveying emotions with music and, and, and body movement and stuff like that. Uh, yeah, and if you want to get like super nerdy, like in the weeds, like mathematician, computer science style, like Godel Escher-Bach, or I think that's the right way, but um, it, there's, and then there's, there's a lot more out there that these are like, you know, you're, you're looking at things like numbers and then somehow you end up in the meaning of life or right. memes. And like all of this is like abstractions of like numbers, data. Um, you know, you look at like hieroglyphics and kind of the translation of them. I was just talking about this with a few friends. Like I can only read 20% of the literature that exists in the world because it's either in Latin or Arabic or whatever. And all of this stuff is like, it's, Yes, this is related to memes, everybody. Like, these are like root languages, right? And now all of a sudden we went from like Latin and hieroglyphics and Arabic to we have kissy face emojis. Mm -hmm. This is very much the same thing, like whether you like that or not. And that's how we will communicate with each other. And it'll, it'll eventually kind of unify language in a sense where, yeah, we're not going to have the same rich conversation if you're from X country and I'm from Y and we speak two different languages. But these, this, the mematic of it, if, that, if, if I shall, uh, will allow us to, to communicate better than we do today. Allowed. Um, yeah, and it's, it's interesting how, how quickly it's happening. Again, I've been harping on this, but I'm trying to figure out, because there's something there. Like It's like memes are trying to, because at the end of the day, what, do, what does a meme do? It tries to convey a very long-winded argument and a very simple picture and it's almost like the universe trying to discover itself don't want to get too cheesy but like they're trying to push us further and further to like what are we made of a meme is like condensed data right it's Mm -hmm. it's a it's a single picture that can have a thousand words and that's an old saying you know grandma told me that saying and that saying probably existed before grandma that's a meme and now we have like technology that at our fingertips, we can make one. We could take a screenshot, we can put text over it, and we can communicate. We can add an emoji. We can Snapchat things. We can do all that fun stuff with video editing. And it takes 30 seconds to create this experience that communicates things to you, right? And that, that's really important if, if whether you're like into Bitcoin or whether you're into information theory or whether, whatever you're into, um, it's, it's like part of this is a culture like growing up in a way in yes memes are very immature but we're growing up and starting to conform language that allows us to, are to they, pass though? things on like are they, have we just been framed to this uh mental box of thinking they're immature like yeah, i no, like being I, immature i think there's no a, good point i mean like you know reddit barstool sports whatever mm-hmm. you know uh the chive right it, they were able to create businesses out of being like having fun with it but like i said there i think you look back and I had the opportunity to go to, uh, I was in uh, the Vatican and there's a lot of Egyptian, uh, you know, back in the day, the Romans went out to Alexandria and just wrecked the place, right? Mm-hmm. They brought back all this stuff and it's, it's like you look at it and all of a sudden you kind of have this funny thing where you don't really like, you know, I'm not going to tell my girlfriend next to me, but this thought, I'm like, that looks like a meme, you know, like yeah. this is a symbol in stone. This is, this is actually like a way people communicated. 
And it's not that far away from that photo my buddy just sent me that made me laugh. Well, let's stick let's stick on Egypt and stick on the heady topics here. But like, I dive deep into some of the Egypt theories, and the one of my favorites is that Egypt is a lot older, or the Great Pyramids and the Obelisk and the uh, the Great Sphinx are a lot older than a lot of people think. Maybe there was an advanced civilization like forty. 45,000 years ago that had attained a level maybe beyond where we are now as a human civilization. Uh, you're nodding your head. So I think we can dive into this. I love it. So I think this Bitcoin is very related to this. So yeah, if you know anything about history, I studied a little bit of that at college as well. You re- you know that the famous thing is Alexand- the library of Alexandria got wrecked, it got mm. burnt down, destroyed by the Romans, I believe. The, um, the color of the Nile turned black because of all the ink that was in the water. Done. So we lost like all of the, at that point, like this civilization had built up all this like intellectual equity, if mm. you will, and we it's gone. And actually you can put that back in format and say, well, thanks to Satoshi, we have immutable history books. We have a library that can never be burned. Right. And this stuff is really, really fun for me to think about. And you can even go as far as like mentioning Mark Wilcoxon and DeSantis, Urban Arson. These are some guys on Twitter that have fun with this stuff. They they mentioned, you know, well, what were the, the pyramids for? Um, well, whether you want to think the UFO aliens came and dropped down or not, you do have to have to respect that the advancement of like building these these pyramids was really big at the time. And one thing that I started to think about as I look back on Bitcoin, history, you name it, is that, well, why were they built? And, and, and part of it that I found very interesting was like they built these things above ground, but within them was really what, what was, was key. They certainly weren't tombs. They, they had all these like secret places, places to store information. They had within the, within the walls of the pyramid, they wrote on the walls. What did they write? Like events that happened in history, how to, you know, certain medicine recipes and how to embalm bodies. Like, you know, we're getting really Joe Rogan here, right? Like we're talking about some fun stuff, but this is true. And, and so I always, I always talk about the, the pyramids. If, if I am talking about the pyramids, rather that there was much, the pyramids looked great, but it was all about what's within them. You know, it's all about the, those passageways with them. And, and in some sense, you could have really a fun and it's a little bit of a stretch, but you could say it's a blockchain. It's a place that stored data and that it was pretty dang immutable because guess what? It still exists today. Even those bodies in there still exist today. Well, right? there weren't, apparently there weren't bodies in there. Apparently there's no tombs in the Great Pyramids, at least in Giza. Oh, really? Yeah, apparently there was no tombs. Like they were, you got to watch the Pyramid Code on, oh, on Netflix. I'm, I'm so in. But apparently there wasn't a tomb there. And then, I mean, we're getting complete like uh, History Channel ancient aliens right now. This is all conjecture. But if you look at a picture of uh, Giza and the Great Pyramids from above Earth, it looks a lot like a chip, like a, like the master board of a chip, like the way the pyramids Whoa. are set up and the mini pyramids around them. You're definitely giving me something to look into. This is, uh, this is great. Our boy T-Mech at uh, underscore oh, yeah. T3... Uh, or a TM3K on Twitter. He's crazy. He's big into conspiracy theories. But I, I like to appease them. Not appease them, but like I like to know what's going on with them. You know? Yeah, sure, sure. And uh, this is an interesting, like when, and there's a, a good theory that uh, that I like to play around, not play around with, but I like to uh, appease, uh, which is that the Great Pyramids are a lot older. They're not 7,000 years old. They're 46,000 years old. 
and the great flood story was actually uh did happen and it basically wiped out human civilization here in the west mm-hmm. in the east in egypt and the great pyramids are, are one of the the few last standing artifacts yeah well time. i it, and and like it's not directly it is directly i guess related but you look at the store of information that was associated with like things like things in Egypt or in really, really old civilizations. You know, we can hop off the pyramids as some people are not interested, right? We can talk about anything in the world. Mm-hmm. If you go to Italy and Pompeii or whatever, and you see all, I've had the chance to do that and see people in, engulfed in ashes and, and their stone. And, but you still see the art, you still the writing. Oh. All of this is information that's been stored and it's like low entropy. It's been, it's lasted for a really, really long time. And we're talking about history, but it, in a sense, it repeats itself. It's kind of this, this strange loop of coming back and we, and we talk about Bitcoin. And, and it's so funny that this stuff like memes, history, economics, philosophy and Bitcoin just continue to cycle around because Bitcoin, like I said, you know, Bitcoin can be a place that we store our books. Why are we not doing that? You know, I, I have a, a, a tweet that did pretty well on Twitter that said, you know, imagine if Jack had the guts to put Twitter on the blockchain. Imagine if all the things you thought you could put in a place that could stay there forever. And you could be wrong. And you could look back in retrospect in that very free flow of consciousness and say, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. And it's there. And you can see everybody else who's wrong. And you can see everybody else who is right. Be a pretty powerful thing. It would definitely be pretty powerful. But is it possible right now? Like, would that be too much of a data burden? Like, how would you have to use like OTS? proof bot on every tweet or like how would you do this i actually do that pretty often um i have i have a lot of fun kind of creating i i told a friend of mine that i'm I'm treating twitter right now as like my own personal predictive market where i'm like going in there and and uh i'll say oh yeah tesla goes up tesla goes down twitter goes up goes down whatever and then i'll like go in there and proof bot that thing and time stamp stamp it on bitcoin so you know even if likelihood of Twitter dying isn't isn't very high, but if it did, I still have a place where I can go check where I marked this tweet and say, "Hey, haha, I told you Twitter was the future. That stock's gonna moon, you know, or whatever, right?" Yeah. So, but I think if you're gonna put it on Bitcoin, it is possible. Again, it's that a lot of people don't focus on that as being a problem. A lot of people want to build their cool ideas. They want to issue some tokens as receipts for donations and say. I'm going to build my really idea. Thank you for giving cool idea. Thank you for giving me your money. And I'm going to go off and do that. And they do that because Ethereum had this environment that allowed you to easily gather investment. It's Kickstarter 2.0, right? So at the moment, there's like not a great incentive model for people to start to do more and more on Bitcoin. And again, I think that starts to come over time as losses happen. People learn by losing. Uh, What would you say about like the the cost and storage of running a full node coming into play. Because I, I think that's why a lot of people are perturbed with Ethereum in particular, because it's impo- It's very hard to spin up an Ethereum node right now, and that is sort of like again the trade offs of what we can do with these blockchains. It, it, you sort of have to play within the the laws of of data storage, and so that's like the big question I have, and I don't know like. So I, I you like, know, I'm not a, like a, let's say I'm not a pro at like some of, some of these, like, let's call it like estimated attack costs and how much does it cost to maintain a node and data. But I do a lot of this stuff. And even with Bitcoin, it's, it makes me laugh sometimes where people are like, well, uh, we need lightning because big blocks. Yeah. Lightning's dope. Like, let's do it. I just ordered a Casa lightning node today. Did it? Like, 
I'm down, right? Like I'm open to all this. I'm for all building, but it's really not that big of a deal. And if you do your research and you look at things like Neriad storage solutions and like no more raid, like, well, now you can imagine our home computers are going to be able to host a lot of data. They're going to be able to render it really fast. You're going to run your 4Ks and like, you know, whatever, right? You're going to have these really great solutions. And so all of a sudden, like block size isn't that big of a deal. Now, yes, people don't see that, right? Because you're only seeing what's like propagated on Twitter and the news and Reddit and all that as problems that might exist. But the cost of operating these things, yes, uh, there is a there is like kind of the the bottom of the barrel that can't afford to do this but general people with like a home pc can do most of these things mm-hmm. and i i would love to see the math to back it up and if there's like any like you know fact checkers out there listening i would really do I genuinely like to learn more about like what does it cost to maintain this stuff right but i'm doing a lot of this and i'm not really i can't say i'm, I'm doing it in a scientific method where i'm like measuring the cost and stuff but you know, I'm, I'm no, uh, I'm no uh, Bill Gates billionaire either, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people can still access that. And I'm not as concerned about that. But I, that's something that I'm continuing to learn more about. And again, I think that if you, if you want to contribute to Bitcoin, Ethereum, Bitcoin Cash, and XYZ, just do it. And the co- like, let's stop complaining about all the things that could go wrong. And let's like, make them go wrong. Because the solutions will arise from that, right? See, yeah, no, that's what I'm a big fan of. Is like, all right, if this shit's gonna fall on its face, like, let's do it ASAP. And let's wreck learn. it. Yeah, let's let's stress test everything. And the best way to stress test is start paying with Bitcoin. Start buying your stuff with Bitcoin. If uh, I've already figured this out myself, oh well, you know, Square just allowed you to withdraw on their app, so. I just saw somebody like Jackson Palmer. He's on a witch hunt these days trying to wreck everything on Twitter. And I'm like, he's talking about Robin Hood. And then he brought up Square. And I was like, actually, man, you're a little bit on a witch hunt here. Square lets you withdraw. You know, you can go and get a Square card in the mail. Square. Hey, this is the fifth free Square Cash App read on this pod. All right, Jack, I hope you're listening. Call us. It's my favorite app. I've used it twice today. I got tw- I got 17% off Whole Foods today because I'm a Prime member and I use the cash card boost at Whole Foods. Damn. 17% off just for that, for doing nothing. Noted. I'm writing that down. Write right that now. down. So, like, you get 10% off of your Prime member and then I use my cash app to pay with the Whole Foods boost on and I got 17% off. Wow. Uh, a $15 lunch Turn, or excuse me, if almost fourteen dollar lunch turned into like eleven dollars. That's a Brooklyn price. The Brooklyn yeah. price is pretty high. Brooklyn price, yeah, yeah. Are you still in Indiana? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I bounce back and forth. I'm spending a lot of time in Berlin at the moment. Boss. Yeah, really. I like that. that. What's good in Berlin? A lot of blockchain stuff. Believe yeah. it or not. Yeah. Um, great cost of living. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my lunch doesn't cost fifteen bucks, um, and just a little bit of life adventure, learning and experiencing some stuff. So, but you know, into your point about square by the way like that's that's a great opportunity for people who it's also a very noob friendly thing like honey miner where you can get some bitcoin you can withdraw it it's there oh you can spend bitcoin that way you know to my point is like you can buy things with bitcoin the liquidate the liquidation process is impeccable in cash up though the way they set up the eight they have ach excuse me they have ach access to your bank account so you can make uh, you can add cash 
on the weekend to your cash app from your bank account and it'll be like a debit card transaction. Mm -hmm. You can add cash to your bank account from your cash app and it'll happen right away like a debit card transaction. That's cool. Like, do, it, can you do recurring buys? Like yeah, you do re oh, they have recurring perfect. buys. They have recurring buys. They have everything. You can liquidate Bitcoin right away into cash, send it to your bank account, have cash right away if you need to. Like it is a seamless UX. Go out there, try the cash app. We're going to, uh, we're going to beta test or beta test. Yeah. Beta test this. Uh, for anybody that works at the Cash App that's listening to this, I'd like my promo code to be Crypt, C-R-Y-P-T, in the future. Good move. Um, just so you know. Yeah, I, and it's like, dude, that's the best way. If you want to make a difference, try to find ways to spend your Bitcoin. It's like, yeah, okay, we don't want to just like blow. Yeah, sure. Everybody, listen, we want you to hold your Bitcoin too. Yes, we hope it moons. Blah, spend blah, blah. and replenish. Spend, replenish, dollar cost average. Make it a part of your economic cycle and day-to-day -day life. That's how you can make Bitcoin make a difference. That's how we can stress test it. We can do things. Now, Cash App doesn't directly do that, but it gets you on a nice path to doing that. And then guess what? I you mean, can start to talk with your local suppliers. Like you got your coffee shop. I know I used to do this a lot and it wasn't always a success. And in a rare occasion, it was where I would go to the local shop and say, hey, I like to spend in Bitcoin and I would pay a premium in Bitcoin. I pay 1% more or whatever. It could be very small, but it's more. And guess what? Every time you use your credit card, it costs your vendor 3.75%. So when you do that, that cost isn't, the vendor doesn't take that cost, by the way, everybody. You as the consumer realize that cost. So now everything is 350 instead of 275 or whatever the heck that math adds up to. Yeah. No, and that's, and that's one thing. You can do this on the cash after so you know. So I bought that Casa HODL, um, or just Casa, excuse me. It's Casa Light, Casa Lightning. It's their no Bitcoin and it's a plug and play node. Lightning and F Lightning and Bitcoin full node. But yeah, I bought it. Uh, I withdrew from the Cash App to the BTC Pay server that they had, and yeah. uh, it was seamless. Just scanned a QR code right from the app, and I'll have uh, some some uh, sovereignty tools headed my way in, in about a month and a half. Yeah, and you know I've been I've been recommending uh, Cash App a lot more lately because they did Bitcoin, so. Again, Jack, we're talking about him right now. He is killing the is game, like, I think. So, and I think uh, the ethos of what you're doing at Honey Miner with inclusion and stuff really, uh, really is parallels what they're doing at Cash App because at Cash App they're trying to help. Um, this is something that's just a fact of the way the app was adopted. It, it's just so happened to happen in the inner cities first and became popular on Black Twitter and and really blew up in the inner city community. And Jack noticed that and he was like, all right, I'm going to help these people out and mm -hmm. create the boost pro program, which is like dollar off coffee every day, 10% off Whole Foods, 15% off Chick-fil-A. They just added Domino's, Panera, a bunch of other ones over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And they're really just trying to help people that use their app uh, be more financially stable and by creating this this uh, incentive program. Yeah. If I, if I may, I'm going to like pull a like, slight tangent with... Jack is that, you know, he's, he, not only is he doing square, like, I think people forget this, you know, right now it's a big deal to talk about Twitter and political parties getting banned or Alex Jones getting banned or, or whatever. Listen, I, I, I'm, I default to free speech. Let's let it win. But Jack is killing the game. And by the way, he's back at Twitter. And the only other person I can recall in my, my young fragile life is that Steve Jobs is the only other person that had gotten, let's say, maybe Jack didn't get booted per se, but he, was, he got, made his way out. 
and he came back and yeah. what a- happened you apple know? and then nxt or next right and yeah right and back then so he went apple nxt and and then and then came back and then uh well we can f- talk some about some really fun stuff so he did that he he comes back steve jobs comes back to apple well, they're not in a great situation because they hired this PepsiCo Chad, bro, and he like mm-hmm. really screwed things up. He's all about sales, less about product. Classic. The bomber of Apple. So he he wrecks the place. Uh, guess who saves the day? Bill Gates. So we're going to have fun now. With an investment, right? He dropped mad cash. I couldn't tell you the amount offhand. Uh, so what happens next? The iPhone. Oh, cool. Sweet. Well, then what happens after the iPhone? The App Store. And then we have... Now public companies, uh, or I call them user interfaces like Twitter and Snapchat, but let's focus on Twitter. So Twitter comes around. And so because of Bill Gates, we've created Twitter. Thanks, Jack, you should say thank you. And let's have even more fun. So where did Satoshi originally build Bitcoin? What operating system? I'm quizzing you right now, Marty. What operating system? I'm not sure. It was C... Win- Windows. Windows was it? Oh so, yeah, it was a Windows client. So without... With, wow, isn't that kind of funny, huh? A little bit of a loop there. If it wasn't for Bill Gates, we wouldn't have a lot of things. We wouldn't have Bitcoin. We wouldn't have Twitter. We wouldn't have the iPhone, which allows us to send our Bitcoin and allows us to do our tweets. It allows us to send our, our nudes on Snapchat. It allows us to buy things with Bitcoin or cash using Square and all of this fun stuff. That shit is heavy, my friend. Talk about primitives. Primitives is a big meme going around right now. I'm talking about foundational primitives. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, like Bill Gates, like maybe malaria would be a worse issue in the world if what he did with all that money he made from building that stuff wasn't wasn't uh, targeted towards uh, that's his, his cause now, right? His malaria and in, in Africa. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like, you know, he's going much more the humanitarian route, right? Yeah. Which is great. Like, sure. Like, that's, that's, that's all good. And I think that like when you're in that position of such success, like, you have the right to basically try anything and everything you want, right? Yeah. And so these, there's these software, hardware, and firmware technological sort of foundations that our world is built on now because of people like Jobs and Gates. And oh, yeah. I mean, we can, we can really Grove get into it. And, uh, like it, everything's a superposition of s- Bezos, Gates, uh, Sergey, and, and so Google, Amazon, Microsoft. These are all like, so every product you use, and again, like I was making a little bit of a joke, but it's very, very true is that these user interfaces that are public companies, I think Snapchat's worth like 14 billion. It's literally a camera app. It's a user interface. I have personally, with a few friends, built a few Snapchat-like things before Snapchat was a public company. And you look at these and you're like, well, these are all superpositions of these massive data houses, Microsoft and Google and Amazon. And I, I'm not saying that's a bad thing, right? But is it? I think it might be though. It, well, it's what it is. We wouldn't be here today. Like I said, Bitcoin wouldn't exist if like Microsoft didn't do its thing. Well, I guess that's the big question though. Do we need to keep Microsoft and these these incumbents in check and sort of well, like, thank like God. the block stacks of the world and stuff like that? You like, know, the best way to the best thing you could do is is if you really want to change the world, is try to kill your king and. That's essentially what Satoshi did, not directly, I don't think, but he came out. I think out. it was pretty directly. He embedded <laughs> it in the Genesis Well, we, we, we all thought about the banks, right? But what's really funny is you look at Bitcoin, you think it's just money after the banks. But now it's, guess what? There's, there's Microsoft, 
there's Google, there's Amazon, and there's Bitcoin, this place to store your data. And everyone wants to talk about how expensive it is because they measure their Bitcoin in US dollar. But to me, I measure my Bitcoin in Bitcoin. So I can spend a few Satoshis and store my data on a place that no one could ever take away. So now the beauty of making uh, memes in like Pepe Dapp on, on Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever, you name it, is that you have an immutable space where this data outlasts the website that hosts it. Mm-hmm. So when these websites die one day, there's still access. Somebody else can build another website on top of these smart contracts or layers or, or data. Let's just call it data. The hunting uh, cave paintings from France are on, on the Bitcoin blockchain. They somewhere. still That's live. what they are. And then we can yeah. build abstractions and paint new paintings that look similar but better or whatever we want. But they're still there to pass on this information that we need. These primitives that allow us to like actually abstract and do more, right? And that's... Uh, so let's get trippier here. Uh, that's like... My first conversation I ever had with DeSantis in person, with Andrew DeSantis in person, he basically described to me that we could send the Bitcoin blockchain into space with radio waves, and it could potentially, like this is within the laws of physics, to to hit another planet, maybe it has intelligent life on it, and if they're smart enough, they can decode those radio waves and learn about life on Earth via the Bitcoin blockchain and stuff like that. I hope hope people are laughing right now, because as funny as this stuff is, it is true. Bitcoin, I just told, I just came into town and swooped up a few buddies of mine and these are smart people and I was having a good time and I said, all right guys, this is a little bit of like out there, but let's talk about time. And then I started talking about, I tweeted this not too long ago. I'm like, huh? Well, you know, I was kind of sitting there one day meditating or whatever. I was just idle thinking, which I think is the biggest power man has by the way. And we start, I started thinking about, well, Bitcoin is a way, like as in block numbers, you can now reference these places across space. So if you like search on Twitter, like CoinEasy or from CoinEasy space clock, I think for, from colon CoinEasy space clock, you can, you can find that. And it, the idea though, is that now because time is like this human made process and then you start to even get into the nitty gritty, read the white paper and you talk about like timestamp proofs and that's Bitcoin. Whoa. I, I mean, I'd read this before, but I didn't really like all of a sudden in DeSantis, 2018, it hit me. We're staying on DeSantis here, but he has the best definition of, of Bitcoin and under 10 words out there. It's a timestamping protocol that when implemented correct or distributed timestamping protocol that when implemented correctly, uh, uh, evolves into a store value. Yeah, sure. Because right. It's, it's like Amber, a good friend of mine gave me this too. And back in the day I was talking about talking to a rotary club and it's a bunch of old guys and women or whatever. And they're, and they're sitting there they don't know anything about Bitcoin. And I was pretty much a noob myself. And I said, Bitcoin and storing data is kind of like a bug stuck in Amber. Right. And that metaphor I think is really good for, especially for new people that are kind of capturing the idea of like the ledger. It's very good because it gets stronger over time. And this is what, uh, Laurent PM from France, he runs OXT.me. He just released a paper. Uh, basically he, he actually just released part two. I haven't read it yet of a four part series of why POW is good and how, uh, traditional economists and even Bitcoiners and people in cryptocurrency space have been, uh, measuring the cost of POW mining incorrectly because they're not taking 
the amount of energy it took to stamp a UTXO into the blockchain at a certain point in time compared to how easy it is to stamp that into the blockchain in present day. Mm -hmm. And then it's relative, right? Like, there's yes, some, it's very there's some relative. Like there. what could have, what could have taken 50 X, 50 X hash a couple of weeks ago. Now it takes 62 X hash to, to mine into the blockchain. Mm -hmm. And so as each UTXO that isn't moved stays further and further into the blockchain, as more blocks get mined, it is like, Amber, where like you have layers and layers of security getting the, built. The on this present bug. makes the past more real. Or so the UTXO would whatever. be the bug in this analogy, right? Yeah, sure, definitely. Yeah. And yeah. like you know, you look, you think about it as a clock. You can think about it as like a mutable library. You can you can go so many different directions. Another thing that a good analogy is is or a metaphor is like, well, you know, proof of work is like a lifetime warranty on your data or money or whatever you want to view Bitcoin as. Again, I'm, I have very many, there's many definitions of Bitcoin. And I, I, I who are the guys that wrote is like Adam Tash. I, th I hope I'm saying his and last Murad, name. Yeah. And, and many faces of Bitcoin they wrote. Oh, wonderful. So many faces of Bitcoin on medium. Please read that. It's really, really yeah. good content. Adam Tash, Tashe. I still don't know how to pronounce it, Adam. I'll get it right one of these days. You need to be on this podcast, Adam. Your Ad Mamadov. Adam's going to come on. Good. I've talked to Adam. Good. Next time he's in New York. He's uh, he's busy. He's a busy kid. And that's the other thing that makes me very optimistic about this space is the amount of young people that are so enthralled with it. Like Murad and Adam are 23 and 20 years old or 21 years old, respectively, mm -hmm. I believe. Mm -hmm. And they're putting out content like that, which is... I mean, it's I think that was one of the best pieces written this year. It's mind-blowing. Right. I, you read this again uh, with many faces of Bitcoin on medium, please read it. And you start to get into this idea of like, well, it's money, it's store value. You look at, and you start learning about Nash equilibrium and right. game theory, and you could go choose your, choose your path, choose your rabbit hole. And, but the, the special thing you learn now though, is that Bitcoin is not just money. It can be other things. Now, if you want it to be just money and store of value or whatever, it can be that that's fine. It's good for you. And yeah, and I would agree with that. And I would say I, tend, I trend toward, more towards that definition that you just described. And it's going back to what we were saying earlier. It's like, yes, see all these ideas out to their, like, play them out in your mind. Like, go through the logical, uh, play, like, the logical games, like, the, the logical stories that people do. And, and feel it all out. And then decide for yourself what, do you re what really resonates with you, what makes the most sense to you. Definitely. But just know that there's these, there's multiple options out there. Definitely. Definitely. And like, and if you're on Twitter, follow, like use Twitter as a tool to like gather some of these new ideas. I, it's a great this place is, to get a jump. The, Twitter is jump. the best communication tool that's ever been created in this world. If you know how to use list and tweet deck on Twitter, you have a data advantage above most of the world that people Fact. don't even realize yet. Fact. You are literally plugged into like, this is, you guys can't see it, but me and Coin Yeezy are looking at my tweet deck right now. And it literally, it is a small, like, like I can see this evolving into what Tank and his brother are looking at in the Matrix when like they're like watching them in the Matrix and it's just like green data, green integers falling down the screen. Like that's sort of what a tweet deck looks like at like a very primitive form. I, I mean, I think that Twitter right now, when you look at like solutions from like an information perspective, I, I Twitter is one of the more bullish scenarios because 
you're looking at like, instead of a top down as like a bottom up, you can imagine if you want to have fun, you can imagine putting Bitcoin underneath Twitter. You could do so many things. You can build clients on top of Twitter to make the interface more fun. Or uh, I've got a few ideas actually myself that hopefully I can bring to life that are associated with Twitter clients, just like TweetDeck and other mm -hmm. things, right? But there's a lot to go on. And again, we'll, we'll just give more credit to Andrew DeSantis where it's due is that he, you know, in the, in the brief conversations that I've had with him, he kind of taught me these these there's opportunities for like hacks of information and using Twitter search. Like I strongly encourage everyone to understand how to use Twitter search effectively. Yeah. Like I just messed up there. You're like from, from colon. You're like, yeah. I'm not putting from in front of it. That's right. And, yeah. and, and you can do things like where it's like since and until, so you can like, you can look at dates. So mm -hmm. I, I had fun one day and I looked at Bitcoin, the very first Bitcoin tweet. And I, and then Finney, I, right? Oh no. Uh, yes. Running and Bitcoin. Then, and then there was, uh, and then about 2011, it started like getting socially on Twitter, at least specifically, it started getting more more prominent. And it was cool. So I tweeted like, I'm looking at Bitcoin in 2011. And then I, I retweeted kind of in sequence the beginning and from like the beginning of 2011 to the end, kind of the coolest tweets that I saw as I went through that. And everybody can do that, by the way, guys. So like if it doesn't have to be on the blockchain to actually... You can go back in time, in a sense, and look at information and data. And Twitter allows you to do that because it's bottom up. When, when I say that, I mean, like, go try searching on Facebook. Go try searching on these other platforms. You're not going to find it. And the best part about Twitter isn't like Google where it's all, like, done for you, let's say. Twitter allows mm -hmm. you to cipher through all of this stuff and, like, you know, pick out what you want. You can be and very specific. You can be very specific or you can be very vague. And so I'm, I'm very bullish on the scenario with Twitter. Um, you know, I'm not saying invest in it, but I personally like would like to invest more in Twitter. I think it's a, it's a product that I use so much myself. And I see that, that there's so many intellectuals, even like you, you know, I'm looking, I'm talking to a smart person right now on this podcast and it's because of Twitter. We met through Twitter. Yeah. And then we met in real life there at the Chicago event, Voice of Blockchain and and we had this this connection that went from digital to physical, and that's because of Twitter. And all these intellectual people are coming through Twitter, and they're hanging out. Naval is talking to people like me and my buddy Crypto Randy Marsh, and we're able to like ask him questions about philosophy, about our product. And this is one of the most prominent. He invented AngelList or or, or created it, and yeah, AngelList, uh, not CoinList as well. And yeah, right. But that's the other thing. It's like it, Twitter is like an even playing field if what you're saying is valuable. If somebody sees uh, reciprocal val value in the information you're giving out, they'll interact with you. And that's why I love having Anons on. Like, you're a fucking frog. Elon Moist on Twitter. Shout like, out. Shout out Elon Moist at uh, Coin Yeezy. Um, but, like, you – and that was actually a big debate a couple weeks ago. Somebody was like, if you're anonymous on this site – it's it's like you're a coward, but that's not true. At have all. you ever heard of Satoshi? Have you heard of Satoshi? Anyone? Not even that. Have you heard of the Federalist Papers? Like when we started this country, like Thomas Jefferson, uh, James Madison, John Adams, I believe, wrote under the pseudonym the Federalist Papers. Like I forget exactly what pseudonym they used, but they were three of uh, the founding mm -hmm. fathers wrote mm -hmm. anonymously to meme the thought of the u.s into existence mm -hmm. like this is something that's been going on for centuries and to think that uh an anonymous kermit the frog character on twitter 
just because he's anonymous, what he says like has no value is idiotic, and history has proven that. Right, and I'm tr- I'm trying to I'm trying to prove that myself, and and you know again I'm there having fun, but I'm I'm also I'm just tr- I'm trying to network, I'm trying to work with people, I'm trying to build a platform when I create stuff that I can get really raw, honest feedback that helps me be better at being a product creator, it helps me be better at being a human. There's been things that I've said that were wrong on Twitter, and I can reference them, so it's like. You know, I might use Twitter a little different than the average person where like I'm documenting like stream of thought and I'm looking at this as an opportunity to kind of reflect as well. So when I tweet today, my it's probably going to be wrong. I mean, stats say just like a startup, you know, most of these things fail. Most of the things you think today are going to play out to be wrong. Maybe you, they are very righteous in thought and you could, you hope to be right. And maybe a lot of people hope that you're right. But Twitter is kind of this cool place that you can document that and you can be wrong and i'm really really like that i really like that i think the one thing you freaks will be surprised about is that uh people are okay if others are wrong on twitter yes you'll get called out but it's expected it's a it's a very raw intellectual form i love it if you want to like if you freaks out there want to get uh, inundated with crypto twitter in particular i have a, a list titled crypto you can find on my profile it's public. You can follow it. Um, but that's where I get most of my information in this space. You're on the list. I love it. Uh, a lot of people are on the list. Uh, your time is precious. You have to be somewhere in 33 minutes. That's right. What, uh, what's the shot clock here? Shot clock. You know, we got a few more. I'd like to take a moment here to give a few shout outs though. Yeah. Yeah. Mom, dad, brothers, <laughs> sisters, all those that love me. I do it for you. Um, and I, and I, and I usually my family and friends, they, I'll, I'll push my, the stuff I do, and, and they do a good job of, of following and supporting me and giving me feedback. So I always like to show some love. And I got a lot of friends on Twitter, and uh, people like Crypto Randy Marsh are a big reason why I'm able to kind of propel into new ideas because they, they, they support me and they're talented in their own ways. Marty, I got to give you a shout out. Tales of the Crypt, it is one of the quality over quantity podcasts in a saturated market, people. So you guys got to help market this thing. Like if you see this tweet go out of uh, Tales of the Crypt with CoinEasy, make sure you're retweeting that and liking that and sharing that with some friends because not only are we very interesting people, as you can tell through these uh, rabbit hole uh, scenarios we just went through, um, but we're working really hard. And um, I really appreciate people out there that are, that are going out, having fun, but also like trying to get some cool intellectual content out in the world. I'm humbled. It's a very, very high praise coming from you. And I want to reciprocate the praise. Uh, I think what you're doing to introduce people to Bitcoin and then cryptocurrency in general via Honey Miner and all the projects you've been working on. Like I said, this man, CoinEasy, content, he's got a content site and whale reports, uh, portfolio app and Coindex, uh, non-fungible token in PepeDap, and uh, now... He's helping people earn Bitcoin by using their extra CPU or GPU space on HoneyMiner. These are very important things. Thank you. Yeah, and Honey HoneyMiner, just to be clear, HoneyMiner.com. It takes you maybe 15 seconds. We've had reviews out there that say that my grandma was able to do this. Please check it out. Talk to me on Twitter. You got questions, comments, concerns. Reach out to me. I try to do my best to keep up with everything. And um, I hope to hear from you. And I hope that people out there can find joy from using these products. And I hope they can earn some Bitcoin and get some skin in the game. Because that's, that's what we're trying to do. Fuck yeah. Um, I hope I didn't get too drunk for you. I was slurring towards the end. Nah, it was good. All right. It was fun. 
Well, this is, we're up in the studio here. This is the first time. Like I said, I'm trying to have a good time too. Did you have fun? Hell yeah. I had fun. Uh, you've got somewhere to be. Uh, that was all. Peace and love, freaks. Thanks, everyone. That's fun, dude.